You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, America. This is um, the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney. Uh, we'll spend the next uh, hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. Uh, as always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. You can find out more about me at my personal website, www.LucasAndCompany.com. Uh, okay, well, I am, uh, I'm sorry I've missed the last couple of weeks. I've had some... I had a few issues here. Uh, I had a laptop go down, uh, and then last week uh, the power went out right before um, right before the show. So uh, I apologize for that. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, those those um, those programs I had uh, intended to uh, take a look at the uh, 2021 Alta NSP. Um, uh, land title survey requirements, also known as the minimum standard detail requirements for ALTA NSPS land title surveys. So uh, that's what we're going to do this week because I didn't get a chance to uh, to do that uh, the last couple of weeks. But um, one of um, one of the things that have um, uh, that have concerned me for a number of years are standards of practice. And uh, concern me, uh, frustrating, almost as uh, frustrating as the uh, NCEES's definition of surveying. Just can't seem to get uh, anybody to do anything about these things. But uh, the, the biggest problem with these uh, standards of practice, now a standard of practice isn't necessarily a standard of care. So let's, um, let's be clear about that. I don't want anybody to be confused. Uh, the standard of care in the United States of America, uh, unless it's been otherwise codified, uh, the standard of care for all professional practitioners, no matter what your profession, is the reasonably prudent practitioner standard, the reasonably prudent practitioner. Uh, that is universal. That is court-made. That comes from uh, our, uh, our uh, civil courts. And uh, the only way that we know that the standard exists is we have to read the court cases. Um, so um, um, that is the common law standard of practice, uh, standard of care uh, for um, uh, all professions. Uh, land surveying, of course, included engineers, architects, attorneys, doctors, um, the whole the whole gamut. It's, it's universal. It's uh, found in... All of the uh, ver- all of the various and sundry jurisdictions across the fruited plain. Um, so that's 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 what the standard of care is. What the reasonably prudent practitioner would do under like or similar circumstances. A standard of practice, though, is, is something different. Um, a standard of practice in the various jurisdictions. When I say jurisdictions, I'm talking about the states. The various states across the country. They have all um, they all regulate land surveying in, uh, in in engineering and other professions uh, in some fashion or another. Uh, the only reason to regulate a profession is if it has uh, um, if it has a significant impact or the practice of that profession could have a significant impact on the um, life, health, and, and um, 
property of the citizens of the state. And so um, as a result of that, as a result of being regulated, as a result of uh, generating uh, or creating uh, these regulatory boards to, uh, to watch over and uh, police uh, these uh, various um, these various professions, in particular the land surveying profession. That's what we're here talking about. Um, there have been um, 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 promulgated what we would call um, standards practice, a, a, a document that uh, attempts to describe what good practice is. Now, in the land surveying profession, these things started out being uh, they, they would call them minimum technical standards. In, in, in essence, that's what the standards were. They were technical uh, standards written by technicians for technicians um, to try to bring some. Uh, I, I'm not knocking these 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 standards. Um, they they did a good job, I think, in um, in bringing about uh, standardization. Uh, in the presentation of maps, standardization in the um, in um, uh, doing the field work uh, for uh, various types of surveys, uh, describing various types of surveys, doing the field work for various types of surveys, and then um, creating some uniformity to how um, the survey is represented on a map of survey before the standards of practice or the standards of uh, the minimum technical standards, as they were initially called uh, in in my area of the country, the southeast, Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, etc. Um, they were called uh, minimum technical standards, and they did a good job of bringing about some some standardization uh, how how these these maps will represent uh, the results of a survey and a survey isn't a thing it's not a map it's a process uh, it's a process of uh, going out and um, gathering um, spatial data uh, and then bringing that spatial data back into the office and uh, representing manipulating that spatial data and then representing it in some form or fashion uh, for uh, for a consumer, um, usually a client, and excuse me, this is annoying. Let's just turn that off. Apologize for that. Um, but uh, the, the the latest trend and the um, the thing that's uh, somewhat, um, I guess, um, frustrating is the, the modern trend with these various technical standards across the country is to change the name and call them standards of practice. Um, that's basically what the uh, ALTA NSPS land title survey standards are. They're, they're a type of standard of practice. But the frustrating part about these uh, these various uh, standards across the country being called standards of practice is, are they really a standard of practice? Are they really a standard of practice? Are, are they just, um, or, or are we just playing lip service to a standard of practice by renaming what are essentially technical standards and calling them a standard of practice? So uh, we would, we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at the uh, alt, what I'll call just, uh, I'll just call these the ALTA standards, and you'll know that I'm talking about 
the minimum standard detail requirements for ALTA uh, NSPS land title surveys. Uh, so we'll just refer to them as the, the ALTA standards or the standards, the 2021 version. Um, we'll, we'll look at them in, in just a minute here. Um, they've, they've been, over the last mm, c- couple of decades, I guess now, uh, they've been uh, revised. Um, they, they get revised about every five years. Uh, the last revision was 2016. The one before that was uh, 2011. Then there were six years uh, in the interim, uh, going back to the 2005 uh, ALTA standards. We don't need to go back any further than that because um, we will be talking about um, the 2011 and moving forward uh, version of these standards. But again, what is a standard of practice? This has been the frustrating part for me. Uh, none of these um, um, so-called standards of practice are actually, in my opinion, standards of practice. They are, um, they've put some window dressing on them. They call them a standard of practice, but is it really? Is it really a standard of practice? Uh, if we go to find a definition of standard of practice, and let's just say, let's go to Black's Law Dictionary, we will find that a standard is a type, model, or combination of elements acceptable as correct or perfect. And that's that's a good enough definition for us to uh, look at um, these standards and find out if that's what's actually happening here. We, we're going to have a type, a model, a combination of elements acceptable as correct or perfect. That doesn't mean that um, the practitioner will always live up to the standard of practice, um, that, that's not necessary because uh, the standard of care is what the reasonably prudent practitioner would do uh, under like or similar circumstances. It's um, um, practice, uh, the reasonably prudent practitioner isn't always going to, uh, isn't always going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, okay? So, um, and I, I just have, uh, let's see. I have a quote from a case here. Okay, here we go. Uh, so we're talking about the normal standard of care. That's that's actually in the 2021 ALTA standards. And I'm quoting from uh, an Ohio uh, appellate court opinion. Quick stakes is your um, answer to staking. Bell Wright Brothers versus Criblets. A claim of professional negligence involves elements common to torts. The existence of a, uh, a duty or standard of care, a breach of that duty or the standard of care, uh, the proximate uh, and proximately caused uh, causation, harm or damages. M- most torts have four basic elements to them, and that's uh, that's the basic definition of uh, the tort of negligence. Professional negligence is not established by proving that a professional opinion turned out to be erroneous. Rather, to recover for professional negligence based on an incorrect professional opinion, one must establish that the professional fell below the standard of skill and knowledge commonly possessed and utilized by members within the profession when rendering uh, the opinion. So that, the reasonably prudent practitioner standard. You can, you can make a mistake as a professional practitioner. You can have an incorrect opinion. You can fall below the standard of practice, but is that falling below the standard of care? Well, nobody's perfect, and from the definition we uh, read, um, from the definition we read, 
from blacks, a standard would be a goal. A standard would be a goal, a type, a model, a combination of elements accepted, acceptable as correct or perfect. Well, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. So we're talking about correct practice. That's what we're talking about, correct practice. Um, and so do the standards, uh, do the standards uh, lead us there, lead us towards correct practice. And we're not, we're not going to look at uh, these various and sundry yet today. Some of these standards of practice from across the country uh, promulgated by these uh, either state boards or state surveying societies. We're going to focus in on the minimum technicals, on the ALTA standards. Is that you, David? That's me, break time. Okay. Hey, David, can I ask you a question? Certainly. Um, why do Why does Quick Stakes have a crying mule as a logo? You know, uh, we're, our Quick Stakes is asked that frequently, and it is a true story, as a matter of fact. By the way, if, if you hear any loud noise, they're re-roofing my office building, and uh, they're making a bit of noise today. Anyway, to tell the story, Steve Davis, the uh, patent holder of Quick Stakes, his father was a surveyor up in the Tennessee uh, River area, and when they were doing a lot of stuff in Tennessee back in the... Uh, the 40s and 50s, and uh, he uh, would, the surveyors back then would use pack mules to uh, carry the heavy wooden stakes, because if if you were the, the assistant and it was your job to carry the stakes up the hill and you trip, then you got to carry them two or three times. You'd have to go pick them up and try again. And uh, Steve Davis came up with the idea, there's got to be a better way. And so he developed the quick stake. And it put old J.A., our mule, better known as J.A. for something else, and uh, it put him out of business. And so that's why we decided to memorialize him by having him having the crying mule as the quick stake logo. True story. That's a great story. And you were you were fortunate enough not to have to carry wooden stakes up in the hills, right? <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to uh, what you were talking about and uh, the Land Surveyor's Hour with Jeff Lucas. All right. Welcome back. Um, okay. So we're looking at the uh, 2021 um Alta NSPS land title survey requirements, the minimum standard requirements. Now, going in, um, uh, I was looking for, I, I did a deep dive on this uh, for my newsletter um, for the January edition, and I thought, well, this would be a good time to talk about uh, these standards. Um, going in, I was hopeful that we were heading towards a real standard of practice as opposed to just minimum technical standards. Uh, or a or a uh, repackaging, rebranding of of what essentially are minimum technical standards. Uh, the effective date of the 2021 uh, standards is February 23rd, so that was just last month. Um, so um, one of the things that I've been um, hopeful about with the uh, ALTA standards is that, um, and, and I mentioned some of the previous uh, versions. 
um, the 2011 revisions to the what was then the 2005 uh, ALTA standards was was actually um, pretty revolutionary. Okay, for the very first time that I know of, and to my knowledge, that any standard of practice across the country um, in any jurisdiction ever invoked the uh, what the standards call um, um, what the, uh, the standards call I'm looking for the exact wording here is the uh, application uh, of the appropriate boundary law principles okay that's that's currently found in section uh, 3d um, the, the, the standards call for in, in, in resolving boundary issues or performing the boundary, and, and Section 3 is generally about surveying standards and the standards of care. So that's what we were talking about right before we went to the standards. So uh, Section 3D uh, on boundaries, uh, the boundary is to be resolved, uh, and this started in 2011, is to be resolved by an application of the appropriate boundary law principles. Now that that's the first time that, to my knowledge, has ever been used in any standard, um, so-called minimum technical standards or standards practice uh, across the country. Okay, so that I thought that was pretty revolutionary. So what does that mean? That was the question in 2011. What does it mean uh, to apply the appropriate boundary law principles? So the appropriate boundary law principles governed by the set of facts and evidence found in the course of performing the research and field work. Most of these standards completely avoid the question uh, of uh, appropriate boundary law principles. And there's the idea that we can't, um, that's the practice of law to apply legal legal principles, which of course uh, is completely uh, insane uh, to think that because every, every citizen in the United States of America is charged with knowing and applying the law. If not, we we couldn't put anybody in jail. Uh, if not, we couldn't. Uh, there there would be no civil wrongs because um, if 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 the average citizen isn't held to under, knowing, understanding, and applying the law, then we can't put anybody in jail. People go around shooting each other, and because um, uh, because we couldn't, um, th- they would all be practicing the law if they if they actually obeyed the law. So that idea is. This is see. This is a frustrating thing about land surveying. This is one of, for me one of the frustrating things about land surveying. It is largely practiced uh, as a belief system, uh, full of mythology. Okay, um, this idea that surveyors um, can't apply apply legal principles when um, when um, practicing uh, the profession uh, is is ludicrous. But that's that's been around for decades. Uh, that that goes back to the stake the deed mentality uh, of the 1960s, 70s, and the 80s. Um, we can't uh, we, we can't make any other decision. All we can do is, is stake out that deed and hide You're behind the geometry oh, in that deed, and all kinds of chaos and madness ensued uh, uh, as a result. And of course, the pincushion corner. Um, Wrote an entire book about that problem, so um, so this was revolutionary in 2011. This was revolutionary, and I, um, I believe 
it might not have been until 2016 that I actually wrote a wrote a column about uh, about the uh, the standards. Uh, but I've been looking at standards for a long time, um, and, and of course, being frustrated with it. So, what are the appropriately uh, the appropriate boundary law principles? Well, we've discussed this on the program before. Okay, we have discussed this. Um, the best I have for you, um, the, the the standards don't tell us what the appropriate boundary law principles are. But um, so, on my own. Uh, I have come up with what I call the boundary location doctrines, and this is this. I don't know of any other um, uh, 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 appropriate boundary law principles. I, I, the, there are none, as far as I know. There, there are no uh, appropriate boundary law principles outside of the boundary location doctrines, and we've been over those before. Adverse possession. Now, the deal with adverse possession is it's a, both a title doctrine and a location doctrine. Title meaning there's a legal question, and there's a legal argument. The legal argument is over the title to the property in an adverse possession case. Okay, So that's, 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 that's beyond the purview of the surveyor. That is sort of practicing the law if you're trying to argue that adverse possession uh, has taken place. Number one, as a surveyor, first of all, adverse possession is going to have to be uh, fought out in court, and so it's going to involve t- attorneys. A surveyor will will not even uh, have standing to come in the court to argue adverse possession, even if the surveyor wanted to. Now there are some out there. We've discussed this before. There are some out there who insist that once all of the uh, some uh, commentators, seminar presenters, others uh, doing the same kind of stuff that I'm doing. Uh, who will say that adverse possession, once all the elements are in place, title automatically passes. But there's only one problem with that, and it's called the statute of frauds. The statute of frauds is is universal in the United States of America. It came over from England, but it's universal. You cannot convey property without a, a written memorial of the conveyance. Usually that's a deed. Usually that's a deed. So... If all of the elements of adverse possession are in place, where's the title document? Where's the title document that satisfies the statute of frauds? So gen- just generally speaking, I, I don't think that adverse possession, since it is a legal argument, is really within the purview of the surveyor. But it's also a location doctrine. If you win your adverse possession case, or if you lose it, you're going to settle the location question as well. So it's both a uh, title doctrine and a location doctrine. Now, all of the rest of these are factual doctrines. They're, they're not legal doctrines. So how can you be how can you be practicing the law if you're not you're not dealing with uh, legal issues? So um, we're going to make I'm going to make the leap. I have made the leap that when the standards talk about the application of the appropriate boundary law principles. Uh, I'm. I think the reasonable assumption is we're talking about the boundary location doctrines. They are articulated in our court cases, which makes them a part of the law, but they're not legal questions at all. Uh, common grantor doctrine. That's a factual situation. Was there a common grantor? Did the common grantor cause the property to be subdivided on the ground? Were monuments set in there? These are all factual questions, and if so, the, the, the common grantor doctrine is in play, and that's a completely 
that's a completely factual question of location. The doctrine of monuments, almost exactly the same as the common grantor doctrine, except that it, I see that the common grantor doctrine, or the doctrine of monuments, will survive the common grantor. Now, let's be, let's be clear. You're not going to, in your particular jurisdiction, whatever state you're in, if you do some legal research, if you, um, um, if you search around in the court cases, you're not going to, and you're just staying in your jurisdiction, you're not going to find all these in your jurisdiction. This is what I would consider to be an exhaustive list by checking all across the country for all of the quote unquote boundary law principles. And the, the appropriate ones, and I guess appropriate depends on the situation you're in, which one's appropriate and how you apply it. Um, okay, original surveyor, following surveyor. That's, that's pretty standard. We, uh, everybody knows about original surveyor. Everybody knows about following surveyor. So that's a, that's a boundary location doctrine. Why, how, why is it a location doctrine? Because where the original surveyor set the lines, that's where they stay. That's a location question. And the following surveyor is is to find where those lines were originally put on the ground, not to correct them. That's that's the standard. Uh, that's the fundamental principle of retracement surveying, which nobody spells out in any of their standards. They don't spell it out in these standards either. So is it a real standard? If we don't even define what it means to survey property, or in essence to what a what retracement surveying means, what it is, what the model is. What would we say? Our uh, I'm flipping back. I'm scrolling. Sorry, folks. Would blacks call it um, a standard? Is a type, a model, or a combination of elements acceptable as correct? We'll just stop right there. We don't need to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Acceptably correct. Correct results. And that's been a big problem for the land surveying profession for decades. Correct results don't matter, in essence, because we don't even define what correct results are. We don't have there we don't have a standard of practice that tells us what correct practice looks like. And this has been the frustrating thing. And that's what we're looking at here. Did so do the two thousand and twenty one standards do that? Well, we've got about thirty more minutes to, to cover that situation. So um, going back up to the top. Uh, of the standards, I'm just scrolling through. Um, Let's take a break. Standards here. Is that you, David? That's me. Let's take a break. All right, taking a break, folks. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not. Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today.
This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. And we are talking today about standards of practice in general, but we are also looking at the uh, freshly minted 2021 Alta NSPS land title survey minimum standard detail requirements. Um, Alta standards for sure. All right, so let's let's look at the, what is what is the purpose of these uh, of these standards. Uh, they, these standards are in uh, eight eight what you would call sections, I guess numbered sections, with uh, a lot of uh, subsections in them. And uh, the first section is called purpose. Um, members of the uh, ALTA, Alta uh, American Land Title Association, also commonly referred to as Alta, have specific needs unique to title insurance matters. When asked to insure title uh, to land without exception, as to the many matters which might be discoverable from survey and inspection, and which are not evidenced by the public record. So that's the basic uh, difference between what the title companies do and what land surveyors do. The title companies look at the public records. Um, they 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 can't they don't go to the field. They don't look at matters that might be discoverable from a survey or discoverable from an inspection. And every landowner uh, in the United States of America, every potential buyer, is charged with um, with notice construction uh, construct. Uh, constructive or actual notice of things that might affect their title. So in other words, the, the landowner who's buying a piece of property, just say the typical home, or it could be more complicated, it could be commercial property, that landowner is charged with uh, due diligence. That landowner needs to do his or her due diligence. They need to go inspect the property. They need to uh, they need to have a survey done so that they can know where the property boundary lines are relative to the improvements. Is the garage over the line or is the garage within the property boundaries? That type of thing. Get get themselves a, a you know buy title insurance because uh, then the title insurance will um, cover the title to the property. You're going to buy that anyway if you get a mortgage. You're, you're going to buy title insurance. If for nobody else, you're going to buy it for the mortgage company. Call it a lender's policy. So, um, so Alta, uh, American Land Title, and what used to be ACSM, the American Congress of Surveying and Mapping, got together and decided to put some standards together so that surveys could be performed uh, to a level, a, a, a sort of a uniform level that the title insurance companies can use. Now, what are they going to use them for? Well, um, for a survey of real property and the plat, map, or record of such survey to be acceptable to a title insurance company for the purpose of ensuring title to said real property free and clear of survey matters. There it is, right there in black and white. So the whole purpose of an Alta NSPS land title survey 
is to allow the insurance company to insure the property free and clear of survey matters. Now, what are survey matters? Uh, survey matters are anything that would be disclosed on a complete and accurate survey of the property. So what the, here's how it's set up. Here's how it's basically set up. Now, I, I, I'm going with a title policy that's uh, a, a title policy form that's uh, from 2014. You, 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 I'm assuming there have been no, no major changes since then. Um, um, there could have, there could have been, there could be, but you, you got to be a member of uh, the American Land Title Association to get to get your hands on any current forms. I should, probably should should spend a couple bucks and do that. It's probably more than a couple bucks, but I should, probably should do that just so that I have up to date information. But uh, as things were in 2014, which I'm assuming hasn't changed too much, the standard Alta uh, Title Insurance Policy, the standard form on page one under covered risk covers this covers uh what a uh, uh a complete and accurate survey of the property would reveal now what a complete and accurate survey of the property will reveal is uh most importantly for the land surveying professional and the buyer where it will reveal where the property lines are located on the ground. This this is all very very. This this is this is getting close, uh, close to the as um, Frank Zappa said, close to the crux of the biscuit. Okay, this is getting close to the essential issue. Where are the property lines located on the ground? Now here's the impo- Here's the interesting aspect of all of this. Is that um, so? The, t- the standard title policy under covered risk includes uh, what a complete and accurate survey would show, and a complete and accurate survey would show the location of the property boundaries on the face of God's green earth. The location question. It will show the. It will solve the location question, and then the title. Co- and, but what the title companies generally do is even though that's a covered risk this seems counterintuitive it seems like it seems backwards but they it's a it's a covered risk but then in schedule b what they generally do is they exclude the survey uh from the uh, from the coverage okay they exclude it. it's called the survey exception they accept the survey out so they have it on the standard form but then they schedule it out on, on schedule b okay what else would the uh, a complete and accurate survey show? Well, it would show encroachments over the property lines, or that there are no encroachments over the property lines. So this is important. There are no encroachments over the property line. If it shows encroachments, then of course the title company is going to accept those out back in Schedule B. Uh, we're going, you know, we're excluding from coverage that you know driveway that's over the line as shown on uh, the 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 survey of X Y Z company. Okay, so they'll exclude those out. So here's the problem for the surveyor. Um, they're going to ensure the location of the boundaries, in essence, the location, um, as um, as uh, determined by the survey, and that boils down to the surveyor. And if it shows no encroachments, then there are going to be no exceptions for encroachments. If it does show encroachments, then there'll be exceptions for encroachments. But what if the surveyor 
didn't get the boundary lines in the right place, and actually the garage is encroaching over the line. Now you got a problem on your hands. And now, uh, so so what happens when they, they being the title company, when they remove the survey exception, now they're going to be insuring the survey. So it, the boundary determinations are a two-part question. As we, as if you've been listening to this program for any amount of time, you, you already know this. There's a title question: What is the property? And then there's the factual question of location. Adverse possession, see, as as one of our boundary location doctrines, it addresses both issues. It, it's going to address the title issue and it's going to address the location issue. That's the two part question of any boundary determination: What's the property and where is it located? Now, traditionally. Without an alta survey and without removing the survey exception, title insurance doesn't cover location. It only covers the title question, which for a lender is the most important question. The lender doesn't care where the property is located. They're, they're, they're buying mortgages or they're, they're, they're lending uh, or they're, uh, uh, they're buying and selling mortgages or they're originating uh, original mortgages. Um, they don't care where the property is located. That's that's of no concern to them. All they care about is the title to that property, and that they are first in line if something goes wrong. If there's a foreclosure or they get, somebody goes insolvent, something happens to the property. They care to a certain extent that that there's improvements on it. But if there are if there are problems with the improvements, whose whose problem is that? If there, if there, that's the landowner's problem. It has nothing to do with the mortgage company. And if you think it does and you stop paying your mortgage, then guess how long you're going to hang on to that house? Long enough for them to foreclose on it and get you out. They don't care. Location doesn't mean anything to them. Um, but it might mean something to the landowner. And again, every landowner, every potential landowner, is charged with doing their due diligence because there's this, there's this, there are several forms of what's called the merger doctrine. But the merger doctrine at a closure basically says that when you buy it, when you buy that piece of property, then you bought bought it. Uh, warts and all, okay, and all previous, the merger doctrine says that all previous agreements, all, unless they're, they survive somehow in the, in the transferring of the deed, all previous agreements or understandings or verbal this or verbal that, um, uh, it, it can even, it even eliminates the sales contract unless the sales contract is, is revived somehow. But uh, or the sales contract in itself says this will uh, this will survive the sale of the property. But uh, one of the merger doctrines is that if once the uh, deed is conveyed, once the property is conveyed, then you bought it, lock, stock, and barrel. If there are problems with it, they're your problems. Uh, if there are warts with it, they're your warts. Uh, if there's um, uh, if there's a previous mortgage on it, it's your mortgage. Uh, and, of course, that's why you get title insurance to make sure it's free and clear. The title's free and clear. Okay. If there's an encroachment, it's your encroachment. If the garage is over the line, your garage is over the line, or maybe it's the next door neighbor's garage is over the line. So, um, complete and accurate. That was also that was that was already in the title policies, but you see, it wasn't in 2000, until 2011 that the ALTA standards 
actually described what true and accurate meant in pretty clear language. So as prior to 2011, the 2005 standards and the ones before that, complete and accurate, what constitutes a complete and accurate survey? And this is something that no standard in the United States of America does, that I'm aware of. Um, and, and this is what brings the ALTA standards pretty close to a standard of practice. They actually define what it means to produce a complete and accurate survey. In other words, um, results matter. And that's a problem with, uh, generally speaking, with the various and sundry uh, standards and the various and sundry jurisdictions across the country. Nobody else does that. So that's what brings these standards very, very close, uh, these uh, minimum detailed standards, very, very close to a, a true standard of practice, so complete and accurate. Um, and... If you say you have a complete and accurate survey, that is the, that is what that is the, the those are the key words in the title commitment. They, if they will remove the survey exception and provide what's called survey coverage, if you proffer a complete and accurate survey of the property, if you the landowner proffer a complete and accurate survey of the, this is why you get an alpha survey to meet the needs of the insurance company, title insurance company, and lenders and others uh, so that they can remove the survey exception from Schedule B and then provide what's called survey coverage. And, and in essence, this is this is akin to Torrin's title, okay? Your title is insured and your property lines are insured. Your location is insured by the title company. Now, in essence... It's being insured by the surveyor who signed the survey and is showing the location of the property on a map, representing it on a map where it's located on the ground. And on the ground, the monuments have been flagged and the, the corners have been staked. And so, um, uh, so where the rubber meets the road here on the insurance issue is if there's something wrong with the complete and accurate survey and the title company has to pay out damages on the policy, then they will sue the surveyor. The surveyor will be sued. We've discussed on many occasions, you can have one of the worst surveys in the world, showing the lines going through somebody's house, uh, and um, not be sued, because there's no money to sue you. That's one of the problems in American land surveying. That's one of the problems for the general public. And American Land Surveyors is Let's that, take a break. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break. Be back after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. 
I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. By the way, if you have a question for Jeff or a question about any of our programs, uh, just drop us an email, gm at America's Web Radio, and r to jeff at America's Web Radio. If you have a surveying, uh, if you're a surveyor and you have a question or you want something addressed, well, we'll see that, make sure that Jeff gets it and, uh, we will address that issue on the next show. So stick with us. We'll be back after a couple more words. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is uh, the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio, and we're uh, going into our uh, last segment here before the end of the show, and we've been talking about uh, standards of practice, and in particular, the 2021 uh, Alta NSPS standard. So... Uh, we were talking about a complete and accurate survey and that um, for the very first time, at least as far as I'm, I know of, um, we have a, a standard here that defines what it means to have a complete and accurate survey. Now, this is important uh, in that those words, complete and accurate, are the key for the title companies. And uh, well, one of the right before the break, we, we were, I was getting into a discussion of uh, how <clears throat> you can have a, the worst surveyor in the world, and the worst surveyor survey in the world who's put the line going through the house when it's never ever been there before, didn't do a retracement survey at all, um, didn't do a complete or accurate survey got the wrong um, identified the wrong location of the property boundaries completely. Uh, just a complete train wreck, and that sur- there's a good possibility that surveyor never gets sued, and that is because um, to sue a survey in order to sue a surveyor, you got to have some uh, disposable cash. You got to have some disposable money because there is no there is there's no insurance uh, that's going to cover this case. This isn't a personal injury case where everybody's got you know. Um, uh, car insurance and 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 there's going to be an insurance company that comes in and pays the bill so that the litigation can go forward do you do you imagine how many uh personal injury cases uh would go forward without insurance money to foot the bill not very many and that's why uh boundary uh disputes uh and even negligent survey practice doesn't get litigated uh a lot 
is because, uh, generally speaking, there's no insurance money to put the bill for the litigation. This is the exception. This is the exception. When the title company removes the survey exception, they are then providing, quote-unquote, survey coverage, and now... The, the landowner is being insured, as long as they got an owner's policy. The landowner is being insured, and there's no reason why you wouldn't get an owner's policy if you're going to go to the trouble of getting an ALTA NSPS land title survey. And usually, that's usually why these only happen in commercial settings and not in residential. But that doesn't mean you can't get a residential survey, ALTA NSPS land title survey. And if I were advising uh, a landowner or a potential landowner buying property, uh, if there's any question whatsoever, or if there's any, if it's older property, if it's um, expensive property, uh, get yourself a. You're going to want to buy title insurance. Uh, an owner, you're going to buy a lender's unless you're paying cash. You're going to buy a lender's policy. So you, for an additional premium, you can get a uh, an owner's policy as well. And I would get an Alta NSPS land title survey, and I would make sure that the title company removes the survey exception from Schedule B, which provides survey coverage. And now you've got complete coverage on both questions. You've got the coverage on the title question, and you've got coverage on the location question. And if there's a problem, you call your title company. Do you know how many times uh, I have gotten a phone call? Um, you know, um, uh, you know, Mr. Lucas, do you do, you do surveys? Yes, we do surveys. Okay, okay. Uh, well, you know, they told me I didn't need to get a survey when I closed on this property, but I, I think I, I think I got a problem. I think the garage is over the line, or whatever else the problem is. The fences aren't in the right place. What, whatever the problem is, um, and I called my title insurance company, and they said it's not their problem. It's not. It's not their problem. They're not insuring lo- uh, location unless they do this. That's what we're talking about here, unless they do this. So, um, now, I've actually seen instances where an ALTA survey is produced, uh, proffered by the client, and they don't remove the survey exception. I don't know if that was a problem, an anomaly. I'm not here to... I'm not here to, to disparage anyone or any title company, but I've seen it. And so what does that mean? You paid for something you're not getting. And the, the, and the, the landowner is totally unaware. Uh, well, I got this ALTA survey, and I thought that was supposed to do something for me, give me survey coverage. Well, if they don't remove the survey exception in Schedule B, you're not getting the coverage that maybe you thought you uh, you were buying. So uh, all of this begs the question, so what's a complete and accurate survey that will allow the title company to remove the survey exception? Well, again, here, basically for the first time, um, the standards define what a complete and accurate survey is. This is, this is, you know, this is getting close, but it's not there. Uh, what... What's, what surveyors are supposed to do, there's, there's, there's two functions of the surveyor. 
you're either an original surveyor laying out brand new lines for the very first time for a common grantor that are going to become property lines, new property lines, or you're a retracing surveyor who finding where the lines have become established on the ground, sometimes put in the terms of following in the footsteps of the original surveyor, not correcting those footsteps. So in, in essence, it's a location issue. The, the, the title documents might not exactly describe what the original surveyor did or where the original lines were located. The question becomes is, well, did they get established on the ground? And so that's the, that's the biggest question in retracement surveying, but our standards don't even describe what a retracement survey is. None of them do. The definition of surveying doesn't re- describe what a retracement survey is, doesn't describe what an original survey is. How, just at that level right there, how can then, how then, can any of these things be called a standard of practice? It doesn't even describe the model. It doesn't describe correct practice. Uh, these standards, again, come close because what they do is they describe what a complete and an accurate survey is. So if we scroll on down here to the bottom of Section 1, in order to meet such needs of the client's insurers, insureds, lenders, they're entitled to rely on these surveys uh, that are appropriately uniform, complete, and accurate. There it is, right there. Uniform, complete, and accurate. But all we've got to really focus in on is what's a complete survey and what constitutes an accurate survey. So a complete survey, it spells it out right here. Right, right here, the last, uh, the, the, the last sentence in the last full paragraph of the purpose. Right before uh, the I, double I, triple I, and IV uh, subsections, a complete 2021 ALTA NSBS land title survey includes subsection I, the on-site field work pursuant to section 5. This thing's in eight sections. We're still in section 1. Under section two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Double I. The preparation of a plat or map pursuant to section six, showing the results of the field work and its relationship to documents provided to or obtained by the surveyor pursuant to section four. Section four is on research. Section five has to do with uh, field um, surveying. And section six has to do with map preparation. Triple I. Subsection triple I, any information from Table A items requested by the client. Table A is this attachment to the documents. It has it has some uh, enumerated options that uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get there. Some enumerated options that the client and the surveyor can agree to. And the certification out of uh, IV or Roman numeral four. Um, the certification outlined in Section 7. So there's a certification, a specific certification that has to be signed. So you do all those things. You follow Basically, you follow these standards. Uh, Section 2 is a request for a survey. Section 3 is the survey standards and standard of care. Section 4, which is the first section constituting a, uh, a complete survey, is your records research. Section 5 is the field work. 
Section 6. I'm scrolling. Section 6 is the plat or the map. Section 7 is the certification uh, they want you to use. You do those things. You do those, thing, those things, and you got a complete survey, which, of course, begs the question, what is an accurate survey? Well, we're going to have to scroll down a little bit because uh, after that, you go into Section 2, a request for a survey. Um, but in Section 3, we're going to get to the definition of what constitutes an accurate survey. And I, I don't know if we have enough time to do that this week. Uh, uh, probably not. So we'll probably pick up on this next week. Um, um I'll remind you where we are, and we'll get into what, uh, what um, constitutes an accurate survey, because that's important. we got enough. We know what a complete survey is. We need to know what an accurate survey is, uh, because that's those are, the, those are the keys right there to the title insurance company, removing the survey exception and providing survey coverage on both the, lo- the title to the property and the location of the property. See you. See everyone next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.